0: Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we are going to cover the hottest hardware releases at CES. That's all the buzz right now. We're going to talk about the importance of nanometers and CPUs. Is it just marketing buzzwords or do these things really matter? And later in the show, we're going to talk about the concept of right to prepare, what it means, how it affects people, including our very own professional photographer. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are two co-hosts. First up, Wendy. Wendy is a professional photographer and hardware enthusiast. How are you doing today, Wendy?
1: Absolutely amazingly fantastic.
0: Love hearing it. That's a lot of fantastic. And our other co-host is Michael. He is our resident software sage and my hardware Padawan. How are you, Michael? Fantabular wonderific. Wow. You really tried to one-up Wendy there, but it
2: just didn't work. It did not work at all. No, no. I, I'm I, 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 I guess I'm a Padawan either. at that, too.
0: So being that it's our first episode, it's important that we explain what is this podcast and what is it going to focus on? And the answer is hardware, that beautiful bundle of transistors, silicone, ceramics, circuits, wires, all of those beautiful things in the physical technology that we geek out on. The things that we become fanboys and fangirls over and can't wait to get our hands on. This podcast is gonna cover all the latest trends in tech, provide you with tips and tricks, and hopefully it will enable you to start and continue your own addiction into the wonderful world of hardware. Some people out there like designer shoes, designer purses, watches, or even worse, get excited about the name brand of their clothes. Not us, nay, we're geeks and nerds. Our designer brand is AMD, Intel, Raspberry Pi, Dell, Nikon, Canon, NVIDIA, and System76. Those are the things we love. But before we begin, we need to learn about the co-hosts here. So Michael, what is your hardware experience? Well, let me tell you a little about myself
2: uh, and my hardware experience. I can take apart the remote control and I can almost put it back together. And you may be thinking, so why are you on a podcast about hardware? And that's because I want to be informed on hardware. I'm not, but I want to be. And I've always been uh, comfortable on the software side of tech, and I want to expand my horizons into hardware. And if you're in the same situation as me, you can join me in going from Padawan to Hardware Jedi. Or at least somewhat, you know, like a, what's the Jawas? You know, somewhere in the middle.
0: (laughs) We won't get you to Jedi Master, but we'll get you to Ewok status. Sweet. I'll take it. So, Wendy, tell us about your hardware experience.
1: So normally when I am able to purchase new hardware, I dive head in full research. I'm digging what is the best hardware I can get for the budget, the money that I have to spend. And I will spend hours and hours looking, price checking, going back and forth between different websites even to pick out the hardware. So for the most part, after I can't buy it anymore, I step back a little bit. My kids think they need to eat or something, so I need to spend other parts of my day instead of just daydreaming about hardware.
0: Nice. So in my case, I grew up with hardware. We, My dad had a small computer business, and I was responsible for building and repairing all the machines that came in while he wrote the software. So. I grew up around hardware. It's something I absolutely love and enjoy and have the DOS Geek YouTube channel out there where all I do is discuss all the various hardware projects and things that I'm involved with. So I'm so excited to do this podcast with both of you. And this week we have something really exciting because it happens to be that CES happened this week. So there is all kinds of tech goodness that has come out of this event. So normally we would get into a section where we talk about what we've been up to this week, but because there is so much to cover here for CES, I think we're just going to jump right in and discuss all of the various things that occurred at the show. I wanna start out in the CPU realm and Intel had some interesting announcements this week. People were expecting Intel to come out with something that was going to be mind blowing because AMD's kind of done that over and over and over again in 2019. And what I gather it was a pretty good release, but it was also pretty typical Intel, meaning the 10th gen Comet Lake for laptops they announced, which can boost up to five gigahertz. Now that's an impressive feat for a mobile CPU. That's, well, that's a lot of power in a laptop, but it's still based on that 14 nanometer Comet Lake architecture and for me that was a bit of a disappointment
2: but the disappointment will be shipping pretty soon
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true the disappointment ships in 11 weeks so (laughs) um you know it wasn't a disappointment on the aspect that i think this will be a fantastic cpu for a laptop right if you got one of these machines that can boost to five gigahertz and some of them they're saying could be even more than that going to be a nice computer but in wanting the future to see the future of technology the fact that we're still on this 14 nanometer architecture for intel was a little bit disappointing but they did have they did give us a little glimpse into their 10 nanometer inner workings and that was with the tiger lake mobile chips that will be 10 nanometer and have xe graphics architecture And they're claiming double the performance of their current mobile lineup. Uh, Most of this, though, was just teasers. So there was no actual device and launch date and price and all of that that we could see.
2: But to be fair to to Intel on this, that's really what CES is. I mean, like 99% of the stuff at CES is not real. Like, it's just something that they have like, hey, it's a concept that we're at sometime, someday in the future. So that's not that that big a deal.
1: Yeah, even some of the hardware that shows up isn't fully finished and ready to go, still kind of buggy with uh, so-so software on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are very good points. Uh, We didn't get any word on 10 nanometer desktop yet. Social media was a little rough on Intel, and I wanted to just spend a moment here because Intel had a pretty bad year in 2019, and I don't dislike Intel in any shape or form. I think they're a great company, but they've certainly fallen behind, and 2019 was kind of a beatdown for them with Spectre meltdown, side channel issues, Zombie Land. There's all kinds of crazy names for all the mitigation they've had to do. Zombie Load,
2: um, to be clear. But it's also like that. That's... I was thinking of the movie. I know, <laughs> good movie. But there was a there's a lot of uh, issues with it. They've been having these problems for like years now like I, I i know it was at least 2018 uh like early 2018 maybe but it might have been before that i i'm not 100 percent sure but it's been a long time like they've been dealing with this same problem and they still haven't released any hardware to mitigate this stuff it's all i mean it's firmware stuff they have firmware mitigations I guess but like not it's not actually solved so I, I think the the social media giving them a hard time for it is pretty deserved
1: well, and it's, it's not like they can't come out and say it takes us some time to develop new hardware. This is kind of what our timeline is. So we know that these are still issues. This is what we're trying to do to help mitigate it when you're upgrading to this new hardware. The, the radio silence is really difficult to take when they could be upfront with us. They could be upfront with their customers and say what's going on and what they're thinking and When these things will be hopefully mitigated.
0: And I think that's a big, that's a really good point and a big difference between how Intel's operating their business and how AMD's operating their business. Intel to me seems like a suit. It's your typical big business that you see out there run by probably an individual that has a really fancy degree but never really worked in the field as an engineer or anything along those lines, where then you've got someone on AMD like Lisa Su, who also has the fancy degrees, mind you, but is a bona fide engineer and runs the company a little more, I don't know, personal. And so, because of that, Intel's taking a beating here. I think this is a huge change in pace, though, from what we've seen before. Michael, you're aware of this. On Destination Linux Podcast, I talked a lot about AMD when Ryzen first dropped, and. I got a lot of flack for it. People were like, Oh, come on, mm-hmm. AMD room heater. You know, it's, they're never going to be able to compete with Intel, but I was holding strong. Like, you guys don't understand. They're doing this thing with the new seven nanometer architecture. They are really pushing the future. like the way the leadership's going and and things changed very quickly for them from there. And you kind of seen that, that struggle, but Intel was like the Apple before Yeah. They, Pretty much everybody defended them, and every product they released, people were excited about, and it was the best thing out.
2: Period. Yeah, there's a weird the situation where like Intel was like the the quintessential example of good hardware CPU stuff, and then AMD was kind of like a laughingstock for a long time, and the, it's completely flipped at this point. And like, even the hard, like the overheating thing is is even flipped too.
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah because now that you're on this new architecture a lot less power a lot less heat utilized and you don't have that issue anymore and intel now has some issues with heating so speaking of amd amd had a insane year in 2019 but lisa sue took the stage and said hey i told you 2020 was going to be more exciting and i'm not lying so then she does what she loves to do and starts pulling out actual examples of the chip. So not a drawing or a theory or in the future, but the physical chip that they're going to ship. Woo, we'll... real hardware. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and one of those was the Ryzen 4000 mobile processor with seven nanometer architecture, eight cores, 16 threads, 4.2 gigahertz boost, and at a 15 watt TDP. So when you talk about the heating there, Michael, and you're you're looking and comparing to your typical laptop CPUs, you know, in the day running 75, 145 watts, depending on the type of laptop you're getting, of course, whether it's a gaming one or a, you know, standard uh, laptop, but this 15 watts is insane. I yeah, want like,
1: one so bad right now. Yeah, this is like a fun. ridiculous,
2: yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of funny because it's like out of the, you know, I said the 1% would actually ship hardware on CES announcements and AMD is consistently in that one percent. So like I I, th- I can't even think of a time where they announced something at CES and didn't actually release it in the year that they said they were going to. So like well I mean since Lisa Su took over. Uh prior to that, you it's any anyone's guess. Uh but this is really awesome. Like the there's so many things like that, that like performance per watt has been doubled. Like yeah. That doesn't even seem like it should be possible considering like we're at, we're at the, you know, where like the, the, the t- hardware increases every two years. It gets like doubles in power. And that doesn't seem like it. It, sh- it felt like for the, for the past few years that that we were stuck and it wasn't, that was never happening again. And now we're at a position where AMD is bringing that back. Well, yeah, I mean, think the best amazing. part
1: about this is. You can do some really heavy lifting CPU intensive work on a laptop and be able to get it done without having a little heater sitting on your lap.
0: Yeah, that's a big question I get on a lot of laptop reviews is what happens if I leave the laptop on my lap while I'm working on it? And I think that's a typical working you know, solution for most people with their laptop is at some point it's sitting on your lap and you're doing some work. Maybe you're doing some intense work like video editing, uh, rendering, those type of things, and you don't want something that's burning your leg. And there are laptops that got hot enough where you thought, my goodness, this thing's going to set my jeans on fire. But you you don't really have uh, as much worries here with the heat as long as, of course, that they use proper heat dissipation techniques inside the laptop itself depending on who the manufacturer is but if you did have a heat problem it's the manufacturer of the laptop's fault not the processor in this case you've got five times faster state switching and this was the most interesting piece here is they're claiming faster single core performance than Intel which I can't I don't think it's ever happened before even with all of the latest things AMD has released the single core performance from Intel has always dominated until today
1: we're gonna have to see if this actually comes out though because AMD has been really great especially with their video cards about talking them up more than they can actually perform when they're first released so that what we'll see
0: what I've noticed with AMD specifically in the GPU side of things it generally hit exactly what they're saying in the CPU they're very close but in the GPU They have a really bad track record and that has to do a lot with their software. They are very good at making hardware, clearly. They are Mm -hmm. not very good at software and what has happened, like I have the Radeon seven, which I think is just a fantastic video card. But when it first came out, the software was so bad that the performance just was not what they were claiming it to be. Now today, it truly is, exactly, maybe even faster than what they claimed it would be. But by the time this has happened, everybody's already moved on to other things and that is an issue with AMD as their software. Makes it yeah. hard
1: to ride that hype train.
0: That's true. Yep. Absolutely.
2: But speaking of hype trains, they they have new partners that they're bringing the laptops to the market with Asus De, uh, Asus, anyway, Dell and Lenovo just to name a few, and specifically about the whole the hype train Asus has their new laptop with that ridiculous uh LCD as disc- the no, screen on the back where you, you know you have like the the light up thing you can customize what it displays on the back of the for some reason why would anybody want that I want that
0: I want it too I was like what are you talking <laughs> about why would anyone want that I thought it was such an awesome idea because you know yep. look there's something about the Apple logo like Apple or not of opening an Apple laptop, and you have that glowing Apple in the back. It's it's cool. It it was something that as soon as you seen it, you you know what that laptop is. You don't have to guess. You know it's an Apple. This takes that to the way cooler level of allowing you to customize digital images that basically low power images. You know, very uh, non dense pixels basically to form images on the back to show off your awesome laptop or your style. Like you could have, by the way, I run Arch, maybe pixelated on it or a picture of something on the back of it that you like. Tux, maybe. It's just cool. There you go. You could have tux. Um, Just really cool things. I, I think that they came up with there as a solution to, you know, make their laptop different from everything else out there. I love that.
1: The best part of these partnerships for me is it means that hopefully there will be more laptops out there that are running AMD CPUs and dedicated GPUs for all of those people that want that type of system. Because right now they're hard to find, especially if you want one powerful enough to do anything.
0: Absolutely. This is the number one complaint I get from people like, hey, I'm all on board the AMD train. You've been touting forever, but I can't find the laptop I want uh, with AMD. Now it's gotten better, but what Lisa Sue did here is address the partnership issue. They have hundreds of partners now. Uh, These are just a few of ASUS, Dell, and Lenovo that they named. But when you look at all of the latest Gaming devices out there as well from the new Xbox, PlayStation. All of this is going to have AMD behind it. The Google Stadia has AMD behind it. They're not only dominating in power here, but they're making the good business deals with the big names. That's got to have Intel spitting their coffee out every time Lisa sue takes that stage. So finally sealing the win in the process battle, as if all of that was not enough, Lisa drops a sixty-four core, one hundred and twenty-eight thread third gen thread ripper with an astounding 288 megabytes of cache. Now, if we compare this to Intel's latest i9, and it's going to take me a minute to get through the name, 10980XE, this has 24 megabytes of cache. So 288 megabytes, 24 megabytes of cache. Big wonder, difference here. I wonder which one's better. Yeah. Mm,
1: I don't know. I don't know that I can do that much math.
0: what's so fascinating is that they're able to do this because of that seven nanometer architecture now this is not a cpu that unfortunately i can just go out there and buy i'd have to have a really good excuse to tell my wife of why i need a three thousand nine hundred ninety dollar processor and while a lot of you may go that's ridiculous that's insanely expensive because that's a lot of money you know this is half the cost of some of the server processors out there that are it's competing against and it's faster than literally anything else on the market there's nothing close to it it's it, just a desktop processor too Threadripper ripper is an enthusiast desktop processor technically but it's a server processor being put into consumers hands it, okay. and, and so regular desktop users can use it but it's heavily an enthusiast cpu. You know, right. it's it, they're really not marketing to your everyday gamer here. I mean that makes at sense that it, price mark.
2: That makes sense and also the fact that it's uh, it has a name that just makes you want to go thread ripper. It's definitely good at so marketing. I was so
0: hoping yeah. you would do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but and while everybody may not be able to run out and buy a $4000 cpu if you were wanting a Threadripper, the later generations will now be coming down in price. So they might be able to fit a budget and people can get that thread fulfilled.
2: It's also a good price when you compare it to like the cheese grater that Mac has. So there
0: you go. Mac Pro uh, cheese grater is $5,990, $99. So you could build a system that's faster than anything else on the market. Uh, and certainly much faster than that cheese grater. And you could have something that you wouldn't be embarrassed to tell people you spent that money on. You You could really be proud of it.
1: And be more affordable to fix if it breaks.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) So the seven nanometer, I want to talk about this for a minute because, and this is our brain filler of the week, seven nanometer gets thrown around and I'm not sure everybody really understands what that means. Is it just some marketing jargon that somebody came up with and everyone's like, yeah, seven nanometer and now nobody's going to be happy because, you know, all the parrots of the world are repeating seven nanometer. and you don't have seven nanometer, you lose. So is it really that important?
2: Yes, because the difference between seven and 14 is like double or something.
0: <laughs> yes, basic math tells us that it's, it's got to be important. It's automatically Plus,
2: better because I know those numbers mean smaller and therefore better. So yeah, sure. I just bigger like,
1: was better. Weren't we well, talking it, about more cash was better?
2: When we're
0: talking,
2: when we're talking about, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to explain everything that you need to know about this particular topic. So, Ryan, what's up?
0: <laughs> so, seven nanometers, what they're talking about specifically is really the fabrication process. And this relates to, when they say seven nanometer, it relates to the smallest possible element of the processor. So, for CPUs, using billions of tiny little transistors that switch on and off. This generates the need for space, obviously, to fit all of them and enough electricity to power all of them and connectors in between. There is also the factor of time between traveling between the transistors. So the less space that's in between these transistors, the more tightly you can pack them in, the smaller you can make them. Essentially, the more efficient it will be. But that's just to a point. Because if you get super small, which Intel did do a release where they were talking about, I think, getting down to some ridiculous four nanometer or two nanometer life cycle that they have, there is an issue, a point where basically you can't make the connector small enough, the heat generation or the amount of electricity to push through such a small point kind of ruins the whole innovation of having the small seven nanometer or, or small nanometer architecture. So 1410.
1: Returns.
0: That's the word I was looking for. So 1410 and 7 nanometer, you often hear about it being related to the size of transistors. It also means more space for things like cache. So we talked about the 288 megabytes of cache, which now the processor doesn't have to reach out to the memory. It can just, ha- it has the, the processes and things it needs to store right there on the processor itself. Super fast, super efficient. And they could put more of that memory on because, more of that cache on, because of the fact that they have more space. They could put more cores on there. Now, Samsung has 10 nanometer technology. Apple has 7 nanometer technology. So AMD isn't the first one out here. But that's why when we say Intel's still using 14 nanometer technology, why it's kind of one of those things that you're like, eh, it's kind of time to move on. Everybody's a little bit past that.
1: And they're talking about 10 sometime, not even with real hardware.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really just kind of putting that teaser out there. And it looked like they were a little closer than they've been in the past, but they've been working on 10 nanometer, I believe, since around 2008. They've been kind of rumoring it off and on in various ways. So it looks like they're finally close to bringing it to the market. And I hope they do because what Intel has done with 14 nanometer, honestly, has been really impressive. AMD has had to work to this point, even with seven nanometer to really get it efficient enough that they're finally have the fastest processors on the market. So when you think about Ryzen, when it first started all the way till now, it's taken a long time for them to really beat Intel, even at that 14 nanometer game. So Intel's got a lot riding on that 14 nanometer. They have a lot of facilities they're fabricating in that method, and it costs a lot of money to change those up, which is probably why they've been hesitant, but clearly I think they waited a little too long to make the change. So
2: we're talking about the nanometers and the seven and the 14, and, and obviously there's a difference between that, but how big is a nanometer? How big is this seven nanometer 14? Like what what's, what's a reference we could actually use to, you know, think about it?
0: Well, to me, I like to compare it to something that is relatable to everyone when you think about the size of a nanometer, and that would be the Ebola virus. Naturally, of course. That's, of course, what you do. (laughs) Well, the Ebola virus is 1,500 nanometers long and 50 nanometers wide. So think about that. This virus is so much bigger than the 7-nanometer transistors sitting inside of a CPU. So when you think about the fabrication process, it's smaller than a virus. Yeah. That's, that's amazing.
2: Ridiculously microscopic. Like it, it, that doesn't even seem like it makes any sense, but it apparently exists. So I guess it does.
0: So I don't want to, you know, beat up on Intel too much. So we got to throw them a bone. And there was some things here that I think are getting more exciting for Intel. Specifically, we've all been excited, including myself, for the fact that they're going to create a discrete GPU and we know that they've done really well with the iris line and the integrated gpus but we've wanted to see can they compete in this gpu market and they've been rumored to for a while and it's finally here they've partnered with samsung as i understand it and they're bringing 10 nanometer to the market in this dedicated gpu lineup which they're calling the xe discrete gpu that's not as exciting as threadripper i think they could do some work on the naming Personally, Michael, you do a lot of marketing XE discrete GPU. No, it's not a very good marketing name.
2: They they definitely need to work on something that's, you know, catchy, like the Thread Threadripper.
0: There you go. So there's no performance benchmarks, but they were playing Warframe, a game that me and Michael have played before. It's a I wouldn't say it's a super graphical game. It's been out for a long time, but it's definitely triple A graphic level uh, for the most part. I mean, it's a very beautiful game. But they have three tiers of this card that they're releasing. The first one is the XELP. The LP stands for low power. So this would be for heavily power efficient needs. Uh, if you have a very weak power supply or something along those lines, you just need an additional, you know, GPU to throw in your machine. Probably be very low cost as well. Then they have their high performance line, which is... Let me guess. Kind
2: of... let, let, let me guess. Okay. XEHP.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Woo-hoo. They're you, so, so creative with their names, you know?
0: Well, what about HPC? What would that be, Michael?
2: I don't know, because I would just put high-performance computer, but that seems redundant.
0: It's high-performance creator. You were so close to winning the oh. prize, too, which was going to be an XELP, because we couldn't afford the H- <laughs> HPC. But.
2: Well, I wish there was actually... I knew this in the beforehand. I would take a better guess.
0: <laughs> so... Intel has done great things, like we said, with 14 nanometer, where I, I expect with their partnership with Samsung on the GPU side, they're going to probably bring it to the CPU side and we'll have 10 nanometer like I was getting at. Um, I'm still excited about their GPUs. I knew they weren't going to go for trying to you know, beat out the 2080 Ti from NVIDIA or anything like that. I figured they were going to go for price for performance, more of your budget conscious gaming type. GPU. So more to be seen there. We don't have benchmarks. We don't know how fast it's going to be or how much money it's going to cost. But I'm hoping Intel does something they don't typically do here and give a really, really compelling price for these cards.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see what the performance is going to be and what the price is going to be. I'm definitely a cost to performance shopper. And so that's got me interested. I, I don't know that I will get rid of the AMD card I have in my system now. But if I'm building something for maybe the kids to play games on, it might be the one to go with.
0: There you go. The company that brought a lot of excitement for me in CES that I wasn't expecting was NVIDIA. I'm a huge fan of AMD. My entire machine is AMD. I think, Wendy, you run full AMD, or do you have an Intel CPU still?
1: Intel CPU AMD graphics.
0: And Michael, I know you run full AMD as well. Yes, you have you've completely
2: switched me entirely to AMD. I was Intel and Nvidia and then I talked to you and now I'm AMD completely.
0: Well, <laughs> now I might have to have you switch back. Um, no, I'm teasing. But it's Nvidia not has happen. <laughs> Nvidia has some interesting had an interesting drop here in the 7 nanometer market nonetheless. They have dropped a or rumored to be dropping in 2020 a next gen Ampere GeForce GPU. And they're saying it's 50% faster and twice as efficient as their current line of GPUs. And this brings NVIDIA back into a fight in a big way. Now, personally, I still have an issue with NVIDIA not having an open source driver, but they are rumored to be fixing that as well. So I think what we can gather from all of this is AMD has put the competition on a run on both sides. Two companies, one dedicated to GPUs, one mostly in the CPU market, now dabbling in GPUs. But they have put them both on the run, and that ultimately is fantastic for us, the consumer.
2: Yeah, competition is always great, and I hope that they, you know, take their previous decision to have like the greatest marketing thing ever and do GeForce Super because terrible. Know, it's it's necessary.
0: Super makes everything better.
1: So do we all want to try and guess how much this card's going to cost?
0: Wow, that it sounds like a really fun game, and I'm going to start at eight to $900. Oh, really? Wait, what? I would guess if you're looking into, I mean, the 2080 Ti itself is into the $1,100 range, right? Yeah, I was yeah. going to go more. So was I. Oh, wow. You guys are thinking how much then? Well, to be fair,
2: we built, I don't, I mean, Wendy probably knows more than me about hardware, so I I was gonna say something like on the level of the Titan stuff. So I have obviously no idea. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with fifteen hundred.
1: I'd say we're probably closer to two thousand. Seven nanometer new GPU. They're they like to go up there. So my guess would be two thousand dollar range.
0: That would be insane. I think they would send a lot of people AMD's way, but you know, there's probably a lot of people out in the market that will pay that. I'm looking at new egg right now, and there's a GeForce RTX 2080 Ti that's 1799. So uh, now that comes with a water cooling solution attached to it, but still, that's quite a bit of money to pay for it, and it's you know got a lot of reviews, so people are paying that money for their GPUs out there probably to run pixelated games and surf the web. Naturally, fascinating.
2: But if well, they do this and they do bring it out to that two thousand level, that would be, in my opinion, that and they switch. If they move people over to AMD, I think that would be super.
1: Yes. Wow, but Michael. When the GT, the GeForce RTX twenty eighty Ti launched, it was in the twelve hundred dollar range. So it's not out of Nvidia's ball game to go thousand dollar area.
0: Very good point. Now, I'm guessing they'll do a family of 7 nanometer line, kind of like what AMD has, so they'll probably have some in the $400 range all the way up to the top of whatever they're going to have as their new flagship GPU, but I think both of you are probably more close to the mark now that I'm looking at current prices here than I was.
1: You're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt.
0: I was trying to be nice, but I was wrong in doing so. (laughs) So there are other things that happened at CES. Obviously, we can't cover every single product launch here. But is there any honorable mentions that caught your attention this week?
2: Yeah, I actually I think this this is obviously not even a real thing because this is one of those examples of a thing they made because Sony put out a car. And it's just to show Wait, off what? Yeah, it's they have a car and it just it's just to show off their cameras and all their other gear and stuff but for some reason they packaged it in a car i whatever but they had to get like uh custom Can you even part- drive sh- it? i think it does work yes but they yeah. did i don't think they showed it off working but they did show that it did crank so i don't know but it, it's just one of those things where they're just making it because and at the same time this is all, another thing that a uh, OnePlus did they showed off this new phone this concept phone the the OnePlus Concept One, which is a really cool idea where they like they have electromagnetic uh screen that can make the camera slots disappear by applying something that sort it doesn't make it a hundred percent opaque, but it sort of does. And it looks really slick. So that's a that's a cool concept. And just because they could, for some reason, they made a piano out of OnePlus 7Ts and then had some people play their piano out of a phone. It was super That doesn't weird. seem
0: like an efficient way of making a piano.
2: No, it doesn't, but it's still awesome.
0: <laughs> no. No doubt. I'm just hoping the Sony car had a Sony Walkman player in it. It's better. That, yeah, that it would make must. me buy it. Indeed. <laughs> so Wendy, anything out of this that caught your attention at CES this week?
1: Yeah, there was. So I really like to work out. I work out every day and sometimes I like to have my headphones in, especially on cardio days. And the Jabra Elite Active 75T has really caught my eye. Not because they're just water resistant, but these ones are made for submersion. Nice. Yeah. So if you're, you're running in the rain, I, I'm not a big runner, but sometimes I feel like I sweat enough when lifting weights that it feels like they should be able to be submerged. So those, I've got my <laughs> eye on those.
0: I think that's going to be a good winner for Jabra there. They make a very good quality headset and have competed in a market that is pretty dominated by big names out there, but they've been able to compete, which is fantastic for them. I was interested in what, there's two things that kind of caught my attention. One was the Neon AI conversational partner. So Neon is this company that had partnerships with all of these big names like Samsung and things they were throwing out there. And everyone got pumped over social media about this idea they have basically perfected this avatar like friend that you could have on the computer instead of a digital assistant like everybody else and the avatars were very realistic and used a lot of you know kind of what you see in deep fakes, but nearly perfected with real human faces and lip movement and eye movement but then they got to the stage and you realize this thing was not ready to be shown or at least it didn't deserve the hype that people thought it was going to be because while the human face kind of looked cool, things were still a little off and then the voice was still robotic, which really took you out of that, hey, I have a digital friend on the internet that I made myself and says everything I do is great, which is what I would do if I had a, you know, an <laughs> AI friend. But it, it talked like, this is a Sony car. So it took you out of that moment of of kind of belief here, but I see where they're going. In
2: you case. are such a good podcast host,
0: Ryan. Thank you, Michael. I am Neon. <laughs> and the second thing that caught my attention was NVIDIA releasing a 360 hertz monitor. That is a lot of hertz in a monitor.
1: That's crazy sauce.
0: It is crazy sauce. Now, they're saying they're marketing it, and I think this was a good move from a marketing point of view michael this is meant for professional gamers because we know your person who's out there playing csgo at the quality that say we do uh that has you know you mean uh, amazing
2: like yeah exactly the best that. 360 no scope
0: you know those people are still going to go out there and buy this thing but Nvidia's kind of like hey we know we're probably going to get some flack for this because do you really need 360 hertz
2: no. probably
0: not you <laughs> Uh, but a professional gamer could make the excuse because every millisecond matters and, you know, maybe, maybe the 360 hertz uh, would help somebody. Probably not, but maybe.
1: I'm ready for one of these tech channels that can afford absolutely everything to do a comparison with this 360 hertz monitor. I want to know. I want real side-by-side comparisons. How much difference does it actually make?
0: I have a feeling that someone will get this monitor and then go look you're not going to be able to see it but trust me it's a huge difference i can just feel it inside kind of like the sugar pills
2: yeah they're going to test it like the virgin league of, Le- league of legends it
1: exactly. makes themselves feel better for spending that much money on a monitor
2: but there are a lot of like other things that are at the uh, at CES this 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 year like the uh, like the effort putting into these electric cars like a ford announced a, an electric mustang and also an electric truck. So I, the, I think the Mustang is not coming out this year, but the truck is supposed to come out this year, which is really awesome, even if it is kind of, like, ridiculous. Uh, because, I mean, I wish they would have done this way, way before, like, decades ago. But I, I'm, I'm glad it is actually coming from, like, the big brand of the Mustang is actually getting an electric version. It doesn't really look like a Mustang, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but they're also doing like a lot of foldable things in CES, like a lot of foldable screens, and most of which seem like they're just doing it because it's a, a fad to do rather than anybody actually wants it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm i struggling here. Now, there are times where I've struggled to see the point of a specific technology and then later it was like, okay, I was wrong. Sometimes I'm not wrong. Like I really never could see a the tablets in their first iterations, people were going nuts, like, I don't even need a laptop anymore. I'm like, yeah, right. Now, they've (laughs) gotten better over the years, and they're improving to the point where maybe that's becoming more realistic. But certainly the first iterations of them, I mean, come on, it was ridiculous. The foldable screen thing falls into that category for me. Like, I understand you want a thin laptop, you unfold your laptop, and one screen becomes your keyboard, and or you could be watching video and unfold it and kind of have a tablet out of your laptop. I I understand in principle, but all I see is it's going to break and it's going to be impossible to repair.
1: Well, And how do you handle dirt? I'm in a dusty environment. I live in Idaho on the desert. The wind blows all the time. doesn't matter what you do. Things are dusty. That stuff grinds, especially right in that area where your screen is opening and closing all the time. How is that going to affect, one, how it looks, and two, how it functions?
0: Yeah, this was a big problem with the foldable phone that Samsung released, that they had to basically pull them all off the market and try again. And even after they tried again, still nobody cares. Um, I haven't heard anybody caring or being long lines where people can't wait to get their hands on it. Number one, it's the expense of it, which is insane. And I can't imagine that the laptop would be much different. And number two is the fact that the dust getting in between the closure was breaking the devices. So obviously Lenovo's thought about that. They're one one of the ones that had this foldable screen laptop and would hope they've tried to figure something out to mitigate it, but I'm not excited about this yet, but maybe I'll be proven wrong in future iterations and we'll all have foldable screens.
2: So, Devil's Advocate, I I think that the it's it's cool that Lenovo actually announced this and it's going to be a product versus the other ones that announced it and they don't have any evidence reference of it's going to be existing or not. But the Motorola Razor that they announced with a foldable screen looks pretty awesome, even if it's just for nostalgia, it's still it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I that phone, want phone
1: is it looks awesome. I've seen some reviews on it so far. I mean, light like early stuff, but. It it makes me want one just to bring me back to the the good old days when your phone was small and
2: right. It's, it's got like yeah. a screen on the front, yeah. You you fold it and it's got a screen on the outside too. So it it it's, it, it kind of makes me want the foldable phone, but only for that one particular thing because I like I I like the I had a razor back in the day and I like that style and having that into a touchscreen is cool, even if it is completely not practical at all and it's ridiculous. I still kind of want one.
0: I, I find it interesting, the nostalgia you have for the Razor phone, because you said the words, good old times. Wendy, do you really think it was good old times when you were texting and had to hit three three times to get an F and five no. three times to get an L? And this isn't the good old times. These were terrible part, times. What that are you talking about? That part definitely
1: was not nice. But the no, phone is definitely nah. really compact. But here's the thing. So you're talking about that forever texting. Who enjoys typing on a tablet? And if your computer is that solid screen all the time, how are you going to enjoy typing on that? The tactile feel, hitting the keys, not to mention what that's going to do to your knuckles to constantly have that jarring all the time. I can't imagine typing on that all day long or even writing a few paragraphs.
2: They also, they showed a way, they showed like them doing a video editor or something. Where they have it like the timeline is on the bottom and then the rest of it's on the top and then they like scroll it up and down. It's like that looks awful. It looks like an awful experience just to even see them demonstrate like, hey, this is what you could do. (laughs) Why? Why would anybody do that?
0: Only tablet to this day that I can use effectively is really something like the Surface that has a keyboard attachment to it, essentially turning it into a laptop. (laughs) What's the point?
2: (laughs)
1: Well, I would say. i have a laptop.
2: Right. I would say that, in addition to the Motorola Razor thing, that's you know that's the only one I could think of that's a foldable phone that was that it's a that has a touch screen that's cool, just in the nostalgia part. But come on, T9 was revolutionary.
0: You know, you talk about the <laughs> Palm Pre at times, and I can I d- get behind you with the Palm Pre, but the yeah. T9. Okay, to be fair,
2: the T9 was uh, was a little. T- I think the T stands for torture, but the. <laughs> The, uh, you know, go back to the Palm. Like, I love WebOS uh, forever. Uh, always a fan. Palm, come back, please.
1: Here, you though, go. I knew people that could make that T9 keyboard fly, so.
2: Yeah, I could do it pretty awesome. quick. I, I'll, I'll, I'll when it, next time when I'm at your house, I'll bring over my uh, old crummy phone and show you how T9 could be power. You wow, still have that's... the
1: skills there, Michael. Do you still have the skills.
2: Probably not, but I'll work on it.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait to, to see those skills and we'll we'll video record it and put it up on the YouTube channel. So when Great. tell us tell us about what's going on in a subject that I think is really important as we look at all these cool gadgets and things at CES and that is right to repair. We need to be able to repair some of these devices that we spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on. And you came across an interesting article in this
1: yeah so as everybody who's listened to previous stuff that i've done with destination linux when you guys ask me what is my camera of choice i tell you oh my gosh it's nikon hands down and one of the reasons why i love nikon is they have kept the same mount for their lenses since 1979 i believe so you could go way back to these old lenses pop them on your camera yeah and and they work so it really helped in lens choices and being able to afford a variety of lenses. Well, now, starting in March, they are cutting off access to all the official parts, the software to fix them, all of their I it reports, they're dropping that stuff so that only Nikon can fix your cameras if you want official parts.
0: Nikon's gonna tell the sad story that a lot of companies are trying to tell in this arena that, hey, you know, something's changed in the market. In Nikon's case to probably make the claim, everyone's using their smartphones now, people aren't buying the DSLRs like they used to, and we need ways to generate money. We need to have people sending their equipment to us to repair so that we have some more cash generation. Do you have some tears flowing down your cheek yet?
1: No, I don't. They're making money on parts. They're making money on the software that the other shops are having to buy and get in order to fix these things. The only thing it's doing is making it, when somebody has a broken device, they A, have to wait longer for that to be fixed, and or B, it costs so much more to have it fixed. It's one of the things that I do not like Apple for. It's the way that you have to go through proper quote unquote Apple channels to have it fixed there's There's whole channels on YouTube of people showing things that can be fixed that Apple says can't be fixed, and it makes me really leery really of is Nikon headed down that path
2: so you're not you're not looking forward to the Nikon genius
0: bars
1: no, I won't go i I'll <laughs> switch camera manufacturers
0: Wow. That's huge because you were a huge proponent. We used to joke back and forth that I bought some Canon and I can't even take it out of automatic mode and take a good picture. But I used to pretend, you know, like just to try to get under your skin that, hey, Canon's better than Nikon, because I know that's a fight as old as AMD versus Intel. And you are a heavy defender of Nikon, but this certainly takes fans. And when I say fans, people in the camera arena, the photographers I know, when they have the camera that they they choose the brand that they choose, they stick with it forever. And the fact that somebody like yourself would be willing to change speaks volumes about how bad of a decision this is.
1: Well, you heavily invest in the platform. You spend a lot of money not only on the bodies, but lenses that go with it. So to change companies, to change bodies is a huge deal because then you need all of the glass that goes with it to photograph whatever you're doing. But at the same time, now, if I have something that breaks on one of my cameras, I have extended warranties on them. But does that mean after March, the extended warranty that I purchased is now no good?
0: Because you may have purchased that through a third-party repair shop that may not be able to repair it anymore.
1: Absolutely.
0: This extends far outside of cameras. This is a battle that is going on. You mentioned Apple, which is a fantastic example Uh, you know, Apple makes some really beautiful looking products, or at least used to, I don't know that they really do much anymore except remove ports and things, but they used to make some really beautiful devices and that attracted a lot of people to buy them, but they seem to have continued to make their devices more and more difficult to repair. They made the screws so that you'd have to buy a special screwdriver set in order to, you know, take those screws out in order to get in. They started gluing things together inside the laptops and they end of life their laptops really quick. I mean, you can expect between four and six years of OS support from Mac. And then that $3,000 laptop you bought is now worthless. Essentially, you can't upgrade to the latest OS, which may keep you at make you at some point not able to get the latest software. This is also happening in other manufacturers who tend to copy Apple's designs a lot, and they're starting to glue parts together a lot more, which makes them much more difficult to repair. They're hiding all of this under the idea of, well, we're making it thinner and thinner and thinner. But I've yet to see somebody that's like, you know, I'd really like to buy a new laptop, but it's got to be thinner than anything else on the market. I mean, we've, we've kind of gotten there. It's thin enough. I I want repairability back. I want to be able to pull the battery out with two buttons and replace it. I don't want to have to take off the covers and unglue a bunch of stuff and take off 15 connectors. I'm capable of doing it. I do it all the time, but I don't want to have to. I remember the days you hit two buttons, you pulled out the battery, you stuck a new one in. Anybody could do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was super easy. And there are some phone companies that do help you get repairs. So Motorola is one of them. They will work. They have worked in the past directly with iFixit to put out instructions on how to repair some of your devices, and I believe Sony is also pretty good at making sure that their devices are easy to repair.
0: So one of the things that we're doing on the Destination Linux Network is we're supporting a company called FreeGeek out there. And so FreeGeek is this incredible charity that works on reducing e-waste. They work on rights to repair issues like this. They work on getting computers and closing the digital divide into the hands of kids and adults and providing education for them. It's a really important cause. And if you head to geek, you will be able to find ways that you could support this charity by either sending in some of your used equipment, which if they can't repair it, they will make sure that it gets recycled in proper ways, and these valuable materials used to make these machines are not wasted or just buried in garbage pits. And they also are working, of course, uh, as we mentioned here on the rights to repair, which is such an important topic as we talk about hardware and the importance of it. You also
2: check out the destinationlinux.network slash free geek, because at the, uh, if you scroll down, there's a episode of Destination Linux where we interviewed uh, Hillary Showhoney from Free Geek, and it was a really great interview so if you want to learn more about their stories about how they've helped people and all the great things that they're doing definitely check that out because that episode was fantastic you know no bias at all
0: this is our first episode of Hardware Addicts and as we wrap up I want to thank everyone for listening to the show and this show is set to bring you your bi-weekly tech fix if you're not all lit up on tech yet And be sure to check out all the great content that we have on the Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network, check out many podcasts, YouTube partners that are available there, and you can get more information on all of the tech and geekery that we have.
1: Remember, there is no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow.
2: See you next week for another super episode of hardware addicts
0: you had to do the super thing i did you're welcome super you're welcome